The Tennis Gambling Podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast are presented by Edge Boost. Edge Boost enables you to double your bet with no interest. Go to sportsgamblepodcast.com slash edge to get started today. Welcome, everybody, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast from the Sports Gambling Podcast. Network. It is currently Thursday evening, June 1st, and I'm your host, as always, Scott Reichel, once again, going solo for this pod. I'm recording it now because I know I'm going to be watching the NBA Finals Game 1 later tonight, so I figured might as well get this out and posted before that game t- uh, tips off. But either way, should be a lot of fun. It is time to go through the third round of the French Open and discuss the previews for some specific matches. We will be doing the same format as the second round and the first round, which is picking a couple of matches from the two days, and we're going to be talking about my thoughts on them, giving some lean, so to speak, and then we will be doing the lock and dog picks, of course, at the end of the show. But overall, the leans from round two went pretty well. Uh, so those worked out. Unfortunately, I should have swapped around one of the leans for the lock, uh, but I'll get to the, into that in a second. But overall, pretty solid episode. And speaking of the lock, let's recap how we did on the picks. So starting off with the lock, ended up losing. Had the over three and a half sets in the Nori and Pui match at minus 120. Wasn't even close. Pui got his ass kicked. Just simply put, Nori dominated. Pui couldn't hold serve for most of the match. And then Pui had a couple of moments there to get it to make the match interesting. But unfortunately, he could not convert. A lot of unforced errors, and Pui ended up getting destroyed. However, did win the dog, as we ended up having Jari minus one and a half sets against Tommy Paul, and he did end up coming back from one set down to win the final three sets in route to a nice win for us. So ended up making some profit uh, because we cashed a plus 135 dog. Either way, though, hopefully we'll actually sweeping the bo- uh, sweep the board for one of these rounds, as we have lost the lock and won both dogs in each of the first two rounds. But either way, time to actually get into the recap of what we saw in the second round. So I'm going to start off with the Wednesday breakdown, just going through my early takeaways day by day. So starting off with Wednesday, fresh off of the Medvedev upset loss and the and the Monfi insane comeback, uh, we had a relatively uneventful uh, Wednesday once again. There weren't many insane upsets. You had the five-set thriller between Kokonakis and Warenka, which I said I liked the over on. That ended up getting there, and Kokonakis ended up winning. I thought he'd probably win in four with a tiebreaker in there. Got the breaker, but Kokonakis ended up winning in five. Besides that, though, you had Batista Gut, who ended up falling apart after being up two sets to nothing as Varius came back and beat him. I've mentioned before, I think RBA's past his prime, so I'm not totally shocked that in five-set matches, he ran out of gas. But props to Varius, who has had a couple of two-set comebacks in the first two rounds, and he's now alive in the third round. So good for him. I know last year he blew a two-sets-to-nothing lead against Felix in the first round, so it is nice to see him making a deep run, coming back from two sets down in each of the first two rounds. Besides that, though, Alcaraz did drop a set against Taro Daniel. Uh, He did complain after the match about the wind, but he did adjust to it as he won the final two sets, 6-1 and 6-2. Besides that, you had a war between Herkaz and Greek Spore. Didn't shock me. He had a couple tiebreakers because Herkaz was involved, but he got the job done and won that one in five. I believe Greek Spore was serving for the match at one point and got broken, uh, and then Herkaz ended up beating him. I believe that was in the fourth set, but either way, Herkaz ended up advancing, and besides that, really not much else to talk about. You had a fun hour-and-a-half-long set, basically, between Djokovic and Fuksovic, which Djokovic won, and then you knew Fuksovic was cooked after that, and Djokovic bageled him in the second set. But besides that, time to actually move into the Thursday 
breakdown. But once again, Wednesday, pretty quiet. Really nothing surprised me. I also forgot to mention, I thought Offner had some value. I thought that Corda was too big of a favorite, and Corda looked a little bit underwhelming with the wrist, and it seemed like the actual pace on his shots was a bit underwhelming throughout the match, and Offner won in straight sets. But moving on to the uh, Thursday card, we have Chorich to win the quarter, a reminder, it's 16-1. to 1. He was down two sets to one against Katchen, but he came back in a one and five. You saw Sinner lose an absolute war against Altmaier. He was serving for the match in the fourth set, had a match point, could not convert. The match took a casual five hours and 26 minutes. Painful loss for Sinner. The quarter really opened up for him uh, because Medvedev had lost previously, and Sinner has yet to beat Medvedev in their careers. And then Sinner went down two. So we ended up having Chorch at 16-1, to and we had Karatsev at 50-1 to as our long shots. We picked the right quarter. Unfortunately, Karatsev went down yesterday, uh, went down today as well, as he ended up losing to Tiafo, won the first set, lost the next three. So did lose one of our long shot outrights, but we do have, uh, yeah, we have Jari, who's still available to win his quarter. We got it 11 to 1. And of course, he ended up winning in four against Tommy Paul. And we do have Chorich at 16 to 1 to win his quarter. And he ended up winning in five against Katchen. So we do have a couple of long shots left in the quarters, and hopefully that ends up working out well for us. Besides that, though, I was very impressed by Dimitrov, who ended up beating Rusevori in straight sets. Rusevori might have been exhausted after his first-round match against Barreri, which went five sets, but Dimitrov's looked really good so far in this event. Now, as a Dimitrov hater, I can tell you that he will fall apart at some point, but I will acknowledge Dimitrov has looked very good so far in this event. Besides that, uh, you had Seaboth Wild, who ended up continuing his run as he was able to beat Pella, Props to Pella for winning a set and for even winning a match in the first round because he had a pretty rough go of it for the past year. But Seaboth Wild was a pretty big favorite, and he ended up winning. I also do not believe he covered the spread. He was favored by five and a half games, and he won by five. So a nice win for him, but if you backed him on the spread, you ended up losing. But once again, not exactly a Cinderella run when you're a pretty hefty favorite to win the second round, but still a nice story nonetheless. Uh, besides that, though, you had... Uh, Fritz, who ended up coming back from a set down against Rinderknich, and he ended up winning that one in four. And that was the final match of the day that really mattered because Verev beat the crap out of Mulcan. And then you had our drive-by dog, if you remember it, which ended up being voided. We had Rune Monfi, any set in the match to finish with a, with a bagel. Six nothing set in the match. I was hoping for three to one or higher on the podcast. And then FanDuel dropped a casual plus 540, and I was thrilled. I easily bet that. I might have also had a long shot uh, or considered putting in a long shot parlay, but I found plus 540, and I was hoping to see some type of, my, of plus 300. So I was absolutely elated that I found those odds. And then the money line suggested that I was onto something because Rune went from around minus 900 on the money line, to a casual minus 1,800. So it seemed like everyone realized Monfi was screwed in a second-round match, and Monfi realized it because he withdrew. He decided that he was going to end his tournament on a high note, ended up winning the five-setter against Baez, realized he had no legs left, and ended up uh, withdrawing. So we ended up getting that drive-by dog voided. Great value there. If Monfi would have played, there was really a shot at it. I think plus 540 was a bargain. Unfortunately, I guess we'll never know uh, because Monfi ended up not participating. I shouldn't say withdrew. I should have said uh, walkover. But either way, point is, Rune got a walkover, and that does 
hurt us personally because I do think Rune was quite poised to win a set 6 nothing. but it is what it is. But the main talking point I want to mention for the sake of the second round, it's kind of twofold. First of all, as a Sinner fan, that was painful. Uh, no way around it. That was rough. Uh, he also had a couple of break points to potentially get back into the uh, fifth set. He was facing a an Altmaier serving for the match, and Altmaier ended up faltering as Sinner was able to break at uh, 4-5, got it back even, and then immediately got broken again at 5-5. And then he ended up being down 40-love, Three match points for Altmaier. Sinner fought them off. Then Altmaier had another one at advantage. Sinner fought it off. Then Sinner had a couple of break points, three of them to be exact, to force a final set tiebreaker. Failed, and Altmaier held with a, a pretty good first serve, which I believe was an ace, which ended the match. But either way, point is Sinner, it sucks as a fan sometimes because I really, really want him to get over the hump and that five set marathon against. Uh, Alcaraz is still one of the best matches I've ever seen, but it's rough at times. And whether it involves the durability, I saw Sinner kind of grabbing his leg there at the end of the fifth set, or even just the unforced error count. Sinner's right there in terms of talent, but it does feel like either mentally or physically, he does need to improve in some aspect. And I don't think he's going to win a Grand Slam until that happens. But as you as you might remember, in that quarter, I did not give out Sinner. To win the quarter, and I did not give him out. I did not give him out to win the title. As a fan, I recognize what his ceiling is in Grand Slams. It's most likely quarterfinalist. That's kind of what I see him right now. I hope he can prove me wrong. But I've seen time and time again, Sinner have good opportunities, and then something goes wrong, and then he might blow a set he's supposed to win, and then it's too little, too late, and he loses. But Altmaier in that match was around plus seven hundred. Congrats to him for winning a very, very fun match. But that's kind of the appetizer of takeaways, because the main takeaway I want to talk about is the French Open crowd and how that relates to the Rinderknecht and Fritz match. Now, I praise the French crowd for what happened in the Monfi match against Baez because they rallied behind them and they were very, very passionate in terms of their support. You had Monfi chants, you had the national anthem going around, and the crowd definitely helped propel Monfi to a very impressive fifth set comeback. That's what happens when the guy you're rooting for is French. The problem is, or I should say the guy that uh, you're pushing for to win, Andy wins, is French. The problem is what happens when the guy that you're rooting for is French and he's, get, and he's losing to an American, and the crowd goes above and beyond crowd support. You can also apply this to the Luca Pui and Nori match if you call it the end of it. The French crowd has been pretty obnoxious at times when it comes to, I'd say, chanting or booing opposing players facing off against Frenchmen. Now, of course, that's going to happen because you're always going to root for the home country guy. That is what it is. Now, in the Luca Pui match, Nori's had some issues with the crowd anyway, and Nori did end up facing off against a Frenchman in the first round in Benoit Pair. So the crowd was already booing Nori from the first round onward. But the point is they were booing Nori in the third set there against Pui as Nori was trying to serve it out, and they were trying to clearly get under his skin. Some of its gamesmanship, you can argue that's not exactly proper protocol. Either way, not surprising. Then you have what happened in the Fritz match, which was Fritz coming back from a set down 
And it was mostly comfortable from there. I thought Fritz looked pretty sharp, and he was able to outlast Rinderknich in a couple of long rallies. Fritz also is the better server, so it wasn't a total shock that Fritz got more free points on the serve as Fritz was able to win 77% of the first serve points. Rinderknich won 76, so that was close, except for the fact that Fritz ended up winning 68% of the second serve points, and Rinderknich only won 48% of the second serve points, which was really the story of the match. But anyway, I digress. The point is, Fritz is trying to wrap up the match in the fourth set, and the French crowd is doing classic things to try to get under Fritz's skin. They're cheering faults, they're cheering misses, they're cheering like the basic stuff that would annoy a tennis player if he was on the other side of it. So Fritz, after he won the match on the final point, did the shushing emoji or I should say the shushing gesture to the French crowd while doing a very casual 360 to make sure that the entire crowd felt the gravity of the shush. And the French crowd went into a frenzy and they booed the crap out of him for about five minutes. And they were booing him as both players approached the net to shake hands, as they shook hands with the chair umpire, as they got their stuff together. And most importantly, during the post-match interview on court, where Fritz basically had a Medvedev U.S. Open moment where he thanked the crowd for giving him the energy to beat the Frenchman, uh, which I thought was very amusing. And some people might argue that Fritz shouldn't do that to antagonize, to antagonize the crowd. Other people argue that it's good for the sport. It adds a little bit of tension there. And if the crowd's going to give you crap for about three hours, then you can give crap back to the crowd once you make their nightmares come true and beat the player they were rooting for for the past three hours. For the record, I loved what Fritz did. I don't care. At the end of the day, you're a tennis player and you're going to have players, or I should say not players, I should say fans, heckling you for three hours. I have no problem if you want to give it back to the crowd once you won because nobody in the crowd wanted them to win. So I liked it. I thought it was fun. Not to mention the fact that I do think tennis could use more villains. Tennis has kind of a... Golf, I'm going to group it with golf. It has a certain manners element to it, or a certain, I should say, I don't want to say grace, but a certain pretentiousness. That's the word I'll use. A certain pretentiousness to it where the players are supposed to be very calm and even keeled and really just not react to anything. That's really what people expect. It's supposed to be a country club game where everything is relatively classy. You don't make many noises. You don't curse out anybody and you just deal with whatever happens and move forward. Same thing with golf. However, I think we all know that sometimes you need a character in either an event or just on in general on tour to make it interesting. And of course, John McEnroe is the perfect example of that and what he did in the 80s. Then you have the more recent example. We also have Agassi, who is kind of a bit of a bad boy back in the day with the mullet. Uh, but I'm not even going to factor him in because Agassi, I always thought, was kind of a nice guy. But the point is, I do think that when you're looking at the overall landscape of villain characters, McEnroe's on the Mount Rushmore, and whether you like him or not, Kyrgios has to be on there. Kyrgios is the modern example of the villain, and whether you like him or not, you will tune into his matches because it's entertaining. He will shush the crowd. He will yell. He will do everything he possibly can to potentially take his opponent out of his comfort zone. But most importantly for me, 
it's fun. I think Kyrgios is a fun player to examine and watch because you know something crazy is going to happen and there's going to be a couple of, cir- of, of uh, circus antics. And we saw with Medvedev on occasion, whether involved, you know, kind of teasing the crowd. We've seen it with Rune a little bit recently. But I thought what Fritz did was fun. And I think that Fritz becoming a heel in this event is pretty encouraged by me because Medvedev lost already, so he can't be the villain. And I think Fritz, once again, is a bit annoyed that the crowd was so heavily in support of Rinderknich. And once again, there's a difference between being supportive of your local guy and being supportive while also completely bashing his opponent at every possible chance. I liked what Fritz did. I thought it was fun. And I do think that it is pretty funny or maybe deserving that the French crowd might have been a little bit rude at times. And now they don't have to worry about that anymore because there are no French people left in the French Open on the men's side. All of them have been eliminated in the first two rounds. So my main takeaway, I thought the Fritz antics were fun and I had a good time observing it. And I do hope the crowd boos Fritz moving forward just because I want the atmosphere and I think it's fun. And having the American play the villain in France feels kind of right to me, to be honest. But anyway, uh, moving on to the overall preview for the third round. We're going to once again do some selected matches for each day, and then we'll go through the lock and dog picks at the end. So starting off with one of my favorite matches on the card, and it's going to be the same guy that I mentioned in the second round as a must-watch match, Koganakis, because I thought his match against Warenka would be must-watch TV, and it was. It went five sets, very fun. And now Kokonakis faces off against Kishanov, and we also have Kishanov to win his quarter at around 12-1. to So... Gashanov, after giving us a heart attack in round one, had a very easy go of it in round two, as he was able to beat Albert in straight sets. Koganakis, not so much. He had an easy first round and then ended up having a war in the second round against Warenka. But in the head-to-head, they have faced off on clay before, was in 2018. So it means basically nothing. But Gashanov did win that match 7-5-6-4. Now, for the sake of this match... You have Kashanov as a pretty big favorite, which makes sense. You can argue about fatigue, or you could argue just about Kashanov being the better player. He is around minus 320 on the money line, and Kokonagas is plus 270 on the money line the other way. As for game spread, uh, Kashanov is minus 5, Kokonagas is plus 5. Slight juice of the minus 5 and minus 118. As for the games, the over-under is 37 flat at minus 110 on both sides. The over-under, 3.5 sets. The over is minus 140. The under is plus 110. And Kashanov to win in 3 or 4 sets. Kashanov minus 1.5 sets is minus 160. Uh, Kokonagas plus 1.5 sets is plus 130. Simply put, I think these odds are off. Now, I do think Kashanov should be favored, and I'm not saying Kokonagas is going to win. But it does seem to me that these players are closer in terms of skill than the odds suggest. Both guys have good forehands. Backhands can be a bit iffy. Pretty good servers. And we know in tough matches, they occasionally self-destruct. So I do think that this is actually a pretty fair match. If I had to price it, I would have Kishanov at around minus 200. I think that this price range is a bit absurd. And I think that Kokonagas has value. Am I picking Kokonagas to win? No. I think Kishanov wins. But I do think this will be, once again, a competitive four-set or even five-set match. I like the over. I think three and a half sets of minus 140 is a gift. 
and I'm going to take it. I think Kokonakis is good enough to take at least one set from Kashanov, and I think Kashanov's good enough to take at least one set from Kokonakis. Give me the over three and a half sets at minus 140. I'll shop around to see if I can find a better line. Maybe Caesars has a better line because, once again, they do have the best lines available if you want to take a three and a half sets, or in other words, both players to win a set. Same market, just different name. But I do think that match is going to be a war, so I will go with the over three and a half sets and the over in games in that match. And for the sake of value, Kokonakis plus one and a half sets at plus 130 is tempting, but I do think that plus five games is worth a look. Kokonakis, good server. I think you can see a breaker or two in this match, and if you end up seeing Kashanov win a set via breaker, that's great news for your spread because that means that you ended up losing a set by the minimal number of games, which makes your cover easier in theory. So give me a competitive four-set match with a breaker in there. So give me the over, and I will link to the games, plus the games, for Kokonakis. Besides that, though, looking at the rest of the overall schedule, coincidentally, I, d- I am tempted by the second match uh, of the day, which will be Sunigo versus Rublev. Now, Rublev is a big favorite. He's currently around minus, 340, uh, minus 345 or so. Sunna goes around plus 275 the other way. As for the spread, plus five and a half games for Sunna goes minus 115, minus five and a half for Rublev is minus 105. Over under is 37 and a half at minus 110 apiece. And the over three and a half sets is minus 165. Under is plus 145. I know I definitely found cheaper odds available elsewhere. So I do quickly want to look to see what I can find uh, for the sake of those odds. First of all, I will look at the Kashanov odds first because that was the first match I mentioned. Each player to win a set is minus 160 on this one. So Caesars actually does not have a better line on the Kokonakis match. However, as for the Rublev match, I just want to quickly see if I could find a better line. Uh, but looking at that match, you can find both players to win a set at minus 160. So unfortunately, Caesars might have nerfed their both players to win a set market. I saw it at minus 140 earlier today. Might have been FanDuel, but I do like the over three and a half sets if you can find it at around minus 140 or so. I find it weird Rublev is this big of a favorite when he's dropped a set in each of the first two matches. And he lost a set to Mutet. And Mutet, I think, is a pretty good player. Uh, Not a lot of firepower, but he's crafty. I think that's a good way to describe his play style. Pretty crafty. A lot of drop shots, a lot of lobs, that that kind of of, of unorthodox player. But Rublev did lose a set to Dejir in the first round as well. Sunigo, though, dropped a set to Shelton, and he's been cruising ever since because he beat Umber in straight sets. Looking at the head-to-head here, Sunigo did win the most recent matchup, which was 2021, on clay. So he does have the most recent win on clay. But I do think Sunigo is actually quite live to make this match interesting. You can get Rublev to win and each player to win a set at plus 127, I'm not sure if I'm a big fan of that. I do think I'd want a bigger price there. Or maybe you think that Sonigo wins in four or five sets, and you can get that available at plus 340. But I do think Sonigo is quite alive to win this match. I'm not sure if he's going to, but I do think you can make an argument that Rublev is a bit overvalued because of how shaky he's been at times in this particular tournament. And I do think that when you're looking at the premise of Rublev being a big favorite against the guy who actually beat him in the most recent meeting on clay. And once again, Rublev, we know, can be volatile at times. So can Sonigo. I'm not saying Sonigo is free of any of those uh, allegations, or I should say insults, but I do think it's going to be an interesting match. Could this go five? I could see it. I'll tell you that much. I think it can be a competitive match, and I do think that Rublev 
once again, might have some struggles at times. But I do think that it's going to be a longer match. I'll link to the over in this one. I feel better about the over in the Kokonakis match, but I will take the plus five and a half games with Sunago. That spread does seem a little bit too high. Uh, as for the other matches on uh, Friday, do I see much else I really like? I think Sitsipas is going to beat Schwartzman either in three or four sets. Musetti Nori's fascinating. I think Musetti's quite live to win that one, uh, but I do think that the odds suggest that there's really not much value on it because Musetti's around minus 180. I'm not laying 180 with Musetti there. I think he's going to win the match, but I don't see much value on that. Offner and Fognini, it's a fun match. I got no action. I'd probably blindly consider Offner money line on at the plus price, but I'm not going to bet that. That's not even a lean. I really just don't feel great about that match whatsoever. I think Djokovic will beat Fakina. Can Fakina take a set? Maybe, but I think Djokovic probably wins that one in straight. And then you have Alcaraz Chapo, where I think Alcaraz wins probably in straight sets. I think Chapo struggled with unforced errors, and I think that Alcaraz has too much talent, and Chapo will eventually self-destruct. I do think, though, for an upset call, I think Varius is quite alive to actually beat Herkaz. Herkaz had a couple of marathon matches, and I know that Herkaz isn't the greatest breaker. Big server, though. But he's had two separate five-setters to start the tournament, and so is Varius. But I do think that Varius can make life difficult for Herkaz. I don't think Herkaz should be around uh, minus... Uh, let me see the price here. Minus 250. That feels off to me just because of how vulnerable Herkaz has been in the clay court season so far. I think Varias can make some noise here. And I think that when you're looking at a guy at around a two to one underdog, I think there's an argument to be made that there's some value in this particular match on the dog. You could also get over three and a half sets at minus 165. You can bet five setter again. At plus 240, maybe wait for a live line because Varias can't win a first set to save his life. But the point is, I do think Varias is quite alive to pull an upset, and maybe I'll mention that later on in the show. But that's going to wrap it up for the actual picks, or I should say previews for the Friday matches. Now it's time for the Saturday preview because you have a couple of matches. Truth is, I think that the Friday card is much better than the Saturday card in terms of, I'd say, draw in terms of match of the actual match quality but still a couple of decent ones here this seems to be the cinderella day though where you have like jari against giron nishioka against seaboth wild you have sorry just going through it Chorch against echeverry altmeyer against dimitrov you get my point there's a couple of cinderella matches here as for value i think the fritz match against sarundalo might be the most entertaining match on the card because i do think that's going to be a war, and Sarundalo has been really good on clay, so is Fritz. I probably lean to Fritz in that match, but I think it's going to be competitive. Probably four or five sets. The crowd might support Sarundalo, who knows, after what happened in the Fritz match today, but I do think that's going to be a competitive match. I'll lean to Fritz, but I do think that will be quite the fun battle there. Probably four or five sets, so I would lean to the over in that one. Uh, let me just see quickly if there are odds up there or not, because Fritz was the last match to conclude, or one of the last matches to conclude. But besides that, though, the other matches I'm tempted by, I think there's value on Dimitrov. Now, I'm not going to pick him, because once again, if you remember, I said a long time ago on this podcast, if I ever give up Dimitrov again on this show as a lock or a dog, you have the right to punch me in the face, so I'm not going to do it. But I do think that Dimitrov has a very good spot after Altmaier had a five-plus-hour match on Thursday it's a good scheduling spot. You can make an argument, maybe Dimitrov minus one and a half sets, but I'm not going to take it. Giron against Jari is interesting. Giron is kind of a similar player to Tommy Pohl, 
And the question is, do I want to lay five games with Jari? Not really. Like, I'm not interested in doing that. I know Jari ended up... Did he cover uh, that line against uh, Paul? I'm trying to remember because he lost the first set 6-3. I don't believe he covered that line. Uh, I think he won by exact... What did he won by? Five or six? No, sorry. He might have won by more than that. Um, doing the math in my head here. He had a 6-1, 6-4... So five, seven, nine. Yeah, he did cover that by a hook. But the point is, it was a bit of a sweat there for Jari. I think Giron might be alive to win a set. So I'm not saying that Jari's going to destroy him. But I think Jari should be the hefty favorite because of the firepower. But Giron's looked really good. So I do think Giron can make some noise here. Uh, besides that, though, what else am I tempted by? I think Zhang is alive to win a set against Rude. He's not going to win the match. I mean, Rude's going to win. But... You're telling me you can get a decent price on Zhang to win a set here. I think that you can make an argument that Rude has been good, but we saw Zepieri take a set from him today, and Zhang has been really, really good in tiebreakers on clay in the past couple of weeks. I think Zhang might be alive to win a set, so I think Rude wins, but maybe it's not the easiest in the world, easiest match for him, and I do think that Rude will potentially struggle at times in that match. The fun matches, though, towards the end, you have Zverev against Tiafo which is going to be a fun one. Zverev, though, is 6-1 and one in the head-to-head against Tiafo. I think that Zverev shouldn't be this big of a favorite. He's around minus 270, give or take. That seems a little bit rich to me, but I do think that Tiafo is going to lose in this match. I think that Zverev's the better clay player, just simply put, and I do think that Zverev will be able to win this match, probably in four. So I think you'll see another longer match there. And the Chorch-Echeverry match, I don't really have an opinion on. I think that's going to be a war one way or another. So I probably lean to the over on that one blindly. But really not anything tentative that I'm tempted by by that match. But once again, I feel like the best matches or the most appealing ones are going to be on Friday. And Saturday has one or two that might be appealing. Fritz Sarandolo is going to be entertaining. Zverev Tiafa is going to be entertaining. And that's basically it. I, I really don't see much eye candy in this overall uh, Saturday slate, but the point is that doesn't matter. As long as you can find some bets to win, then you'll automatically be entertained. But either way, that's going to wrap it up for the overall third round preview of the French Open. Now it's time for the Lock and Dog Picks, but before we do that, I can have a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by Edge Boost. Edge Boost is the world's first bet now pay later Visa card. Edge currently offers $2,500 in betting advances, which can be an extremely valuable tool. Imagine what you can do with an increased bankroll. Get down on some of your favorite futures without tying up your bankroll for months. Double down on a favorite you bet on, or even if you want to use it to create an awesome middle opportunity or even hedge, as disgusting as that might sound. Edge Boost isn't some sleazy loan shark as they charge 0% interest. Do you know of another way you can get an access to more money to place on your favorite bets without paying any interest because I don't. Support SGPN and grow your bankroll by going to sportsgampodcast.com slash edge to sign up at sportsgampodcast.com slash edge. Must be 21 or older to use problem gambling. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. We're also brought to you by the NBA Finals and the Stanley Cup Finals Contest. SGPN has two more free contests for the Stanley Cup and the NBA Finals. Enter exclusively on the SGPN app, series props, and game props. $100 SGPN gift card up for grabs for each contest. Download the SGPN app and enter today.
Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis Gambling Podcast. For winter break, we went through the third round of the French Open. Now it's time for the official picks of the show, time for the lock and dog picks. Starting off with the lock, I'm going to go back to the first match we talked about, which will be in a matchup between Kokonakis and Kashanov. And for this one, I'm going to take the over 37 games at minus 110. Simply put, I said it's going to go four sets, probably with a tiebreaker. So why the hell would I lay 140 when I can get minus 110 when if there's going to be a breaker and it goes four, then it's going over. So I think that the 37 is a bit too low. I really think that Kokonakis can make this match interesting. And I do think that Kashanov is a good player, but I do think he's vulnerable at times to mental lapses. Both players are, but I can see a similar script to that kokonagas warenka match. It's a battle. It's a long one, and it goes over. So give me the over 37 games at minus 110 in the kokonagas kashanov match as my lock. And for my dog, I have a couple of options here. There's one really, really insane long-shot dog that I like, which I will include. But I do think I'm going to mention this twofold here. Okay, so the first thing I'm going to mention for the sake of this match it's going to be Varius, and I think Varius has some value either at plus 205 or maybe you want to take an alt spread at like plus three and a half at plus money. Either way, for the sake of this podcast, I'll go with Varius Moneyline at plus 205, which I do think has some value. Simply put, I think that Varius is a good enough clay player to make life uncomfortable for Herkaz. Herkaz had a war against Greek Spore and a war against uh, Golfen. And yes, I know you can argue that Varius has faced off against weaker competition with Shang and with Batista Agut. But the point is, I just don't trust Herkaz enough to be this big of a favorite. And when it comes to stamina, I think Varius has better stamina than Herkaz. And Herkaz, we know, is a big serve, but the unforced error count can be large. And Varius is very, very good on clay as a clay court specialist. I think there is some value on that. So I'm going to go with Varius on the money line at plus two. Uh, yeah, plus 205. I found plus 210, actually. So Varese plus 210 on the money line is going to be my dog. However, there is a fun long shot prop on the same exact match, which I'm going to pitch to you because I think this match is going to play out one way, and that way does support this long shot prop. It will be a combo of first set winner and full match winner. Herkaz to win the first set, Varius to win the match, plus 900 on DraftKings. So I think it's appealing. Herkaz has been good in the first set so far in this event. He's 2-0 in the first set. Meanwhile, Varius is 0-2 in the first set and 0-2 in the second set. He's come back from two sets down in each of the first two matches. But the point is, I do think getting a plus 210 underdog at plus 900 to lose the first set like he's been always doing and come back and win the match is quite appealing. I think that that's a very good price, and that's going to be my long-shot dog of the episode. It'll be Herkaz to win the first set, Varius to win the match at plus 900. So I'm going to split it up. Half a unit on Varius, regular money line at plus 210. Half a unit on the plus 900, and hopefully he loses the first set and comes back and gets the job done for us two times over. But either way, to once again, recap the lock and dog picks. The lock is going to be the over- 37 games in the Kokonakis and Kashanov match. And the dog will will chop it up once again, like we did in the Fognini match in the first round. Give me half a unit on Varius Moneyline at plus 210. And give me half a unit on Herkaz first set Varius Moneyline at plus 900. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Tense Scaling Podcast. We're back once again for the fourth round. 
You can find me on Twitter at Rice Show Radio. You can also find me on the NBA show, on the NFL show. You can also find me on the MLB show. And I'm on a bunch of podcasts. You get the point. But until next time, good luck to all of you and all of your bets. Bye, everyone.